0: Happy Good Friday. (laughs) Thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, It is Good Friday. It is a very special day. Remembrance of the work that Christ did on the cross. So welcome to our service. Welcome to our Good Friday evening service. Uh, Today is Good Friday. And tonight, I would like us to consider the cross. There's three things I want to cover tonight. First is our position before the cross and our need for the cross. Second is God's plan for the cross. And the third is the work done and the work accomplished on the cross. So let's open in prayer. Father God, we do thank you, Lord, for this day, this evening in which we can gather as like-minded believers. In remembrance of the cross, in remembrance of the work that our Lord and Savior accomplished, his obedience, his faithfulness in all of his ministry that led up to the cross, to the work that he accomplished on the cross, and as we, as we look forward to two days from now, his resurrection from the grave. We thank you, Lord, for our Lord and Savior. We thank you, Lord, for how you've given us an avenue, an opportunity to be righteous in your eyes. You've given us salvation through your Son. And so tonight, Lord, we just pray that you would be glorified through this service. Pray, Lord, that you would glorify yourself. May we lift our voices to your glory. And may each and every one of us focus on the cross. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as a primer, I'd like to go back to the Old Testament in Isaiah. And we're just going to read Isaiah 53, as it's very relevant to Good Friday. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up, for he grew up before him like a tender shoot, And like a root out of parched ground, he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of many people to whom the stroke was due? His grave was assigned with wicked men, Yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was well pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, and he, he will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord prosper in his hand, will prosper in his hand, as a result of the anguish of his soul Isaiah 53 is very relevant to Good Friday, pointing to the work that Christ did on the cross. As I said, we're gonna be looking at the cross today. The cross, as at least for believers, is a reminder, and it stimulates many emotions like sorrow, like remorse and sympathy. For those who understand the agonies of our Lord and Savior, that he experienced on the cross. With all those emotions, it would be easy to call today's sad Friday, or maybe dark Friday. But today is Good Friday. An old coworker of mine used to say when you greet him with good morning, what's so good about it? Well, today is Good Friday, so what's so good about it? The answer, of course, is our Savior died on the cross for our sins. Good Friday is great for many reasons. Good Friday is a pivotal event in the redemption of the elect. No cross, no redemption. It is the event which makes Easter, Christ's resurrection, so profoundly joyous. Good Friday is more than a time of sorrow, it's an opportunity to view the past and to view the work done on the cross. Good Friday should be viewed as an invitation to salvation an invitation to victory, an invitation to reconciliation. To really understand the importance of the cross, we have to understand the need for it. And to understand the need for it, we must understand man's status before a holy God. In Genesis 3, we read about the account of Adam and Eve and the fall of man. Now remember, Adam and Eve were, were placed in the Garden of Eden. It was, as we might uh, Consider it perfect in all regards. They had a life unhindered by sin. They had a life that was not marred by death, aging, or annoying mosquitoes. They walked in harmony with God, enjoying literally a perfect life. Out of the beautiful garden, there was one tree, just one, that God said not to eat, and that was the tree of good and evil. But the serpent, the manifestation of Satan, the fallen angel Lucifer, cunning and crafty, convinced Eve the fruit was good to eat. Eve foolishly succumbed to the serpent's lies, and she ate of the fruit. Eve then gave the fruit to Adam, and he foolishly ate as well, thrusting mankind into sin and separation from God. What's bad is Adam tried to blame Eve. What's even worse He tried to blame God for Eve. Oh, how quickly sin can spiral. As we read in Romans 5, through one man, Adam, sin and death entered the world. All of Adam's descendants are conceived in sin and therefore born enemies of God. Man went from perfect harmony with God to an enemy of God. It goes to show that sin is sin. It doesn't have to be big, a simple bite of delicious fruit disobedience can change the course of history forever. You know what's interesting, speaking of sin, out of the 66 books in the Bible, the 1,182 chapters, there's only two books and three chapters where sin and sinners are not mentioned, Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 22, the beginning and the end. But there are a number of verses in the middle that describe man's fallen state. Paul does not sugarcoat anything in Romans three when he says all have fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans five, Paul uses the words helpless, sinners, enemies. And then of course, Romans six, the wages of sin is death. Man is both relationally alienated from God and judicially accountable to him. Man is fully incapable of enjoying fellowship with God because of his fallen state. Sin created a wedge, an impassable chasm between man and God. Everyone from Adam and Eve on have been, currently are, or will be in need of a savior. But God in his infinite wisdom foreknew the great divide and in his divine sovereignty created a plan on those whom he chose. He created a path, an avenue which, through, which man could be reconciled back to himself. He created a plan for salvation, for saving grace, for a substitutionary atonement. So every person from Adam and Eve have a problem, and it's called sin. But before Adam and Eve even considered disobeying the Heavenly Father, God knew. God knew the rebellion. God knew that man would turn from the Creator and reject Him. And so God devised a solution, a redemptive plan that would include the cross. Part of this plan included the payment of sins. In the Old Testament, covering a sin involved the sacrifice of an innocent animal. And the shed blood of that animal, God would see the sins of the person or persons who sacrificed it as covered. God was the first to sacrifice an animal or animals, using the skins to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. This was the first death. This was the first payment of sin. There are many examples of men in the Old Testament like Cain and Abel. One submitted a proper sacrifice and the other did not. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob offering up sacrifices to atone and cover their sins. God commanded such a sacrifice because he is holy, and mankind as sinners needed a way to have their sins covered so that they could approach god and be in a right relationship with him those who wanted to know god by faith and obedience sacrificed the animals as they were told those who did not did not sacrifice animals and stayed in a state of sin and separated from god god never intended this sacrificial system to be the end in and of itself or only the only answer for the sins of people These sacrifices, being only a temporary covering of sin, were never the ultimate answer to solve mankind's biggest problem. Rather, this system of sacrifice merely prepared the nation of Israel and the whole world for the one who would come and offer his life as the ultimate and final sacrifice for sin, a substitute, a ransom, resulting in the pinnacle of God's plan for redemption through substitutionary atonement. Almost every religion has some sort of atonement, a means by which reparations are made, sin is paid for, and a deity is satisfied. In other religions, the sinner must repeatedly make, these, make an acceptable sacrifice and pay the sin offering. Christianity, on the other hand, is the only one that teaches that God himself paid the penalty for mankind. Christ's work on the cross His substitutionary atonement is foundational to the Christian faith. In Hebrews chapters 9 and 10, we read about the inadequacy of the Mosaic sacrificial system and the necessity of the death and sacrifice of Christ, a final atonement. In Hebrews 9 verse 12, we read, And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his, Christ's blood, he entered the holy place once and for all. God's redemptive plan of substitutionary atonement for sins requires a perfect sacrifice, the death of one who owes no penalty and dies as a substitute in our place. No human is without sin. All are in need of atonement, and therefore no descendant of Adam could pay the penalty for all. The Old Testament animal sacrifices were never intended to last, rather, they foreshadowed God's plan of redemption. Through Jesus. There are three basic steps of God's redemptive plan. First, God the Son had to become man. Christ humbled himself and took on the form of man while still fully God, Philippians 2, 6, and 7. He did so not only to fulfill Old Testament prophecy, but that we might know him better. Eyewitnesses could experience the love of God and learn from God. And as we've already covered, Sin, re- sin required death of a sacrificial lamb. Number two, Christ, the Son of God, had to die on the cross. As we read in Second Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. This substitutionary atonement satisfied God's wrath, which we can never do ourselves. Through the cross, Christ defeated sin. And three, Christ had to rise from the grave, which we will celebrate on Sunday. Through Christ's resurrection, he defeated death. And because he lives, we live, and we look forward to an eternity living with him. The purpose of his divine plan in part was the salvation of his people and his church. Though a blessed gift of those who receive it, the plan ultimately was to bring honor and glory to himself. And to display his grace. The privilege of being chosen is not something that we can boast in. We did not earn it, create it, master it, or buy it. God saves sinners for the praise of his glorious grace. Ephesians 1.6 As we continue our worship this evening, I'd like to turn our attention to the crucifixion of Christ on the cross and the events that led up to his death. I'd like to primarily read from Matthew 27, but before we get into the reading, I'd like to recap some of the events that led up right before his death. In Matthew 21, we read about Jesus' triumphal entrance into Jerusalem, riding on the colt of a donkey. This is something the Jews had anticipated for quite a while. They were waiting for their triumphant leader. They were waiting for the warrior to come marching through. But what they were waiting for was the Jesus of Revelation 19. They didn't want the meek and humbled servant leader, Jesus, riding on a donkey. They were greatly uh, uh, disappointed with that. We read that Judas, Judas agrees to betray Jesus. In Luke chapter 22, it says that Satan entered into Judas. In Matthew's account, we read that Judas received 30 pieces of silver for his betrayal. That equals the price of a slave. We read about a lot of Jesus' teachings. One such te- teaching was on humility, in washing of the disciples' feet. A lesson that the disciples needed on a regular basis. And if I, think if I think if we're all honest we need that as well. We read about the Last Supper that was instituted. And then we see the the disciples arguing over who would be the greatest right after that, another lack of humility. There's the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, as he so often did, was praying. That's where he was betrayed by Judas. That's where he's apprehended. Jesus was then brought before the high priest Caiaphas. And then knowingly, Jesus denied, Peter denied Jesus not once, twice, but three times so we'll pick it up in Matthew 27, verse 11. Matthew 27, verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. At that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy, they handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to Put Jesus to death. But the governor said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, Crucify him. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, Crucify him! When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood, see to that yourselves. And all the people said his blood shall be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas for them, but after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they knelt before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him, they took the reed, and began to beat him on his head. And after they mocked him, They took the scarlet robe off him and put his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service to bear his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. They gave him wine to drink mixed with gall. And after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink it and when they handed and when they had crucified him they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots and sitting down they began to watch over him there and above his head they put up the charge against him which read this is Jesus king of the jews at that time two robbers were crucified with him one on the right and one on the left And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads, and saying, You who were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests, also along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. If he delights in him, for he said, I am the son of God. The robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. Talking about the robbers, Luke gives more detail around the robbers in Luke twenty-three thirty-nine. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. For one of the criminals... Who were hanged there were hurling abuses at him, saying, "You are not the Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us." But the other answered, rebuking him, and said, "Do you not even fear God? For since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong." And he was saying, "Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom." And what did Jesus say? Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Coming back to Matthew, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani?" That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there when, the, when they heard it began saying, This man is calling, calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and was taking a sponge. He filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, Let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Luke says... Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. John says, it is finished, and he bowed his head. Matthew 51, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and were coming out of the tombs after his resurrection they entered the holy city and appeared to many verse 54 now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over jesus when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening became very frightened and said truly this was the son of god i like what john how john wrote it and jesus said it is finished Jesus meant it is finished. One thing to note here, all of those mocking Jesus, they knew about his miracles. They acknowledged his miracles. Jesus had raised up a young man from Nain. He told his mother, don't worry. (laughs) It's okay. Rise, young man. He raised Jairus' daughter. He raised Lazarus, his friend. Four days dead, he brought him back to life. People knew about these miracles. People had seen them. They had witnessed them. Many may have attributed these miracles to Elijah. In 1 Kings, Elijah raised the widow from the grave, and this may be why the crowd was saying he's calling for Elijah. But the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, they all recognized Jesus' miracles, and yet they still fully rejected him. Through the abuse he endured, Jesus in full obedience paid the penalty for us. As we read in John 19, 30, Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. He gave up his spirit. No one took it. John John 10, 17 and 18, Jesus says that he gives up his own life. No one takes his life from him. He gives it up willingly in, full, in fulfillment of the scriptures. All of the prophecy we see from the Old Testament of the coming Messiah, the, fact, the sacrificial lamb, were fulfilled on the cross. As we opened with Isaiah 53, verse 3, he was despised and forsaken. Verse 4, our sorrows he carried. Verse 5, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed For our iniquities. He died because of our sin. But God, being rich in mercy, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for me, for you, for the world, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The end of Jesus' ministry on earth has a number of lessons for us. One is forgiveness. When Christ said, it is finished, he meant it. God does not hold a grudge. He does not have a chalkboard with our numbers of sins on it. He doesn't have a scale tipping one way or another. Through Christ, we have forgi- forgiveness of our sins. Colossians 1, 13 and 14, for he rescued us from the domain of Darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Another lesson is love. There is no greater love than Christ becoming sin on our behalf, taking God's wrath from us, and granting us salvation. First John four ten and eleven. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Another lesson is obedience. And let's be honest here, this is something that we could all learn from. Jesus knew full well the pain and agony his earthly body would endure on the cross. He knew that Judas would betray him. He knew that Peter would deny him. He knew that he would be beaten and scourged. As I, it says in Isaiah 53 7, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. But his focus was to glorify the Father through full obedience, even through death. And last, Faithful, faithfulness. God is faithful to fulfill his promises. God's redemptive plan is absolute and immediate. The second thief on the cross, his eyes were opened, his heart softened, and he saw Jesus for who he was. What was Jesus' response? Truly, today, not tomorrow, not once you work off your sin, Not once you get through purgatory, the 12-step program, today you will see me in paradise. Today, it's immediate. There's no delay. He is faithful to fulfill his promises. 1 Peter 2.24, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds we are healed. So, Good Friday? Yeah, it's a pretty good Friday. We can call it Great Friday. Why? Because through one man, sin and death entered the world. That's, that's why. It's a good day because God has a redemptive plan for that problem. How? Romans 5. I bring up Romans 5 a lot. I'll be honest, I love Romans 5. It's probably one of my favorite. It's one of my top 1,189 chapters in the Bible. <laughs> Chapters, Romans 5, uh, verses 6 through 11, for while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, but perhaps for a good man, someone might dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love, capital L, capital O, big V, bigger E, love Towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than it feels like an infomercial, but wait, there's more. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, and just halt right there for a second. While we were enemies, is it any wonder that God instructs us to love our enemies? Because what did he do? He loved us first, his enemies. For God so loved, or sorry. For while we were enemies, we are reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Good Friday. Yes it is. One of the most beautiful verses in my opinion in the Bible is Romans 8:1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. God settled the score with Christ on the cross. Christ took our penalty and it's because of Christ if you are a believer you will never experience God's wrath, ever. The hard reality is this. If Jesus Jesus was not stricken, if he was not scourged, beaten, mocked, hung on a cross, forsaken, we would still be in our sin with no hope. We would be fully separated from God. But God, being rich in mercy, sent Jesus Christ to die in our place, so that our holy God might be just, dealing with our sin while at the same time providing his own righteousness to those who believe in Jesus Christ. Christ's death is more than an attempt to reverse the human curse started by Adam. It served as a substitute payment for the trespasses of mankind. So where does that leave you today? Are you a sinner saved by Jesus' sacrifice, reconciled to God, or are you still under the penalty of death, needing to bow your knee to the Savior? Do you boast in the Lord or in the work that, and the work that he did on the cross? Or do you boast in your own deeds and your own works? We all need a Savior. Not one of us can atone for our own sins and make it to heaven our own. May tonight be the time that you see your sin for what it is, separation from God, and repent from it. Accept Christ's sacrifice on the cross that paid for your sins and go from an enemy of God to an eternity with God. For those of us who have accepted Christ's work on the cross as our atonement, we look at the cross as a reminder, as a sacrificial atonement made on our behalf of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His blood cleansed us white as snow and has made us right with God. This is why we call today Good Friday. Uh, A couple more verses. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, those who are in the heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God and Father. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for the blessed gift of Christ Jesus, who through obedience came down, humbled himself, took the form of man, taught mankind so many lessons on how we ought to live, on how we can glorify you, was mocked and ridiculed, was beaten, was mistreated mis just he, he was he was scorned and he was led to a cross he knew full well the pain that he would endure he became sin on our behalf and he gave up his life for us that is a gift that is above every gift and we thank you lord that you give that gift freely it's not something we have to work off it's nothing we can buy It's nothing we can obtain ourselves, but it's a gift that you give freely. So we thank you for that, Lord. As we continue to go on through this day, we pray that we would reflect on the cross and the remembrance of the cross and the work done on it. And as we prepare for Sunday, Lord, we look forward to that day when we can gather again as a body to glorify you through another service and and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we thank you for all these things in Christ's name. Amen.